Sex Pot Comedy, collaborative, community-driven comedy from Denver, Colorado. Now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. I want to ask each of you a question I want you to answer immediately without thinking about it. Okay. Celery or carrots? Celery. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. You guys are both wrong. <laughs> Damn. We suck. <laughs> That's crazy. No, you you were right. Yeah. No. No, 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 no. no. Carrots, carrots are not better than celery. No. Oh, what'd you say? Celery? Yeah. You guys are both right. Welcome to the Rotten Potatoes Podcast, brought to you by Sex Pot Comedy. This is Cook Street Productions. My name is Justin, and I'll be your host tonight. Uh, we're going to start, just to get formalities out of the way, sure. uh, with you guys introducing yourself and just very quickly tell us a little something uh, that's captivated your attention since we last podcasted. Um, yeah, this is going to be an audible... Uh, I'll make this very quick, but... Um, this isn't pop culture, but I had a conversation with somebody recently about movies, and they keep they kept referring to Schindler's List as the Schindler's List, <laughs> and good. it was somebody at my bar who I couldn't like, I wasn't like friends, I couldn't correct them, but they kept saying <laughs> like, well, the thing about the Schindler's List, oh, oh man, have you seen the Jurassic Park? Yeah, <laughs> well, at least the Jurassic Park would make sense. What was? Yeah, that's true. Was it? It's his name. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, the Schindler's List. Like, was it the was it the Shawshank Redemption? Or no? Maybe. Was there the? Yeah, I'm just wondering be. what they were getting it confused with. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 But either way, not cool. Yeah. It's hard to hear that and take them seriously. Well, and it's funny <laughs> to be talking about the Holocaust and be like, yep. you know, you sound stupid. I just call it Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> He's Travis. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm Nate. And captivated my attention besides this new sweater, which you both were generous enough to compliment me on. Um, I did watch the first episode of that uh, Making a Murderer show we were talking about. Yeah. and um, That's yeah, on Netflix? Yeah. It's pretty... It's good. It grabbed me. It's good. It's kind of like, I think I feel like they kind of piggybacked off the uh, serial popularity, the weird crime story that... True crime. Yeah. 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 It's true crime. Yeah, it's... It's definitely good, though. It makes you feel terrible about our judicial system. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, I've only seen the first episode, and it seems crazy already, but apparently it's, like, only scratching the surface. Have you guys listened to the new serial? No. Yeah, it's it's serial. It's good. Yeah. 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 Well, we are going to be eventually betting on the Rotten Tomato score for the movie The Hateful Eight, which is Quentin Tarantino's new uh, revenge story. Um, but... We're going to start with a review of a little movie called Star Wars. And to help us with that, um, no, I can't believe I'm doing this, but oh, no. Justin, oh, God. we're going to bring up Basement Dave. Um, normally, Dave is in the basement, and sometimes he comes up and gives his basement recommendations. Uh, but he's also a resident Star Wars expert. That's a good way of putting it, right? Rather than nerd. Yeah, it's the nicest way, for yeah. sure. <laughs> so uh, let's get him in here. Hey, guys. Oh. Hi. So he's, like, kind of replacing Evan today? Well, yeah, so Evan's not here. He's away for the holidays. Um, but he is... Basement Dave is not in Cook Street and never will be. Well... This definitely feels like taking two steps forward to lose Evan, but then three back. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like a... I mean, Evan's brutal, but this is a real downgrade. Yeah, Yeah, but he does let us use the living room, so, um, you know, we're going to let him get in on this. uh, And talk some Star Wars, because we've all seen it. Yeah. Um, So as per the rules of this podcast, I was furthest off from guessing the Rotten Tomato score on Star Wars, because it was a 90-fucking-five. Yeah, it was. Um, So I saw it alone... Uh, I need to see it alone as per the rules. So I tried to go last night, and when I mentioned to Travis that I was going to go, he said, oh, I want to see it again. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see it on a big old screen, sure, too. Sure. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Dave and I saw it on uh, Christmas Day, and which, like, our whole thing was, 
there's you know lots of people go to movies on Christmas Day, but no one goes Christmas morning. Right. Um, that is not true for Star Wars. The nine forty that we were trying to go to sold out, and oh then God. it was a full a full theater for the ten o'clock. Nine forty a.m. on Christmas in the yeah. suburb. Just to clarify, I was still alone. Um, Travis, we drove in the same car, and right before we left, Dave said, "Fuck it, I'm going again too." <laughs> For his third time. So uh, to keep it the rules, I still sat separately (laughs) from Dave and Travis, uh, which given how high I was, was such a mistake. Yeah. Um, We were sitting about 10 rows behind behind him, and I could see him smiling from behind somehow. Wow. My pro- my, the mistake was, because they were in there first, uh, and I got in, I saw them, and they were like probably 60% up on the seats. And I thought, I'm going to sit in front of them, so that way I won't see them, yeah, and it'll be like I'll just forget they're there, Right. which was incorrect. <laughs> Instead, I just realized they could be making fun of me behind me, and I wouldn't know. You felt know. like people were watching you. It's For the first 30 minutes, all I was thinking about was the fact that they were there, you, and I was so uncomfortable. Yeah, you forget that you've been to movies with Dave. He's not exactly leaning over to, to talk. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Every time I move, I think, oh, I'm fucking with his experience. Yeah. No. I tried to talk to him at a fish show once. Oh, no. No. I can yeah. imagine how that went. I am surprised you're here to talk about this. I'm surprised I'm still allowed upstairs after that word was said. Fair enough. Temporarily. Uh, There was a point, um, I told these guys this, but so I was, you know, I had out my phone to take notes um, in just a notepad, and I was trying to write down all the stuff I was feeling about being alone and and the there was this the break between the trailers and when the movie starts, and they're just like, you know. Whatever the last few things that the theater tells you, where right. it's there's really a long silence in the theater at that point, waiting for it to start. And the guy two seats to the left of me, in the, I guess no one else heard in theater, but to me it felt like everyone heard. He goes, "Are you going to turn your phone off?" <laughs> to you, <laughs> to me, and I like, jumped and turned to my left and said, "Oh, it's on airplane mode." <laughs> Which nice. it, it was not, but I did eventually right. do that. But like, that also doesn't like, alleviate his concern. Right, like at you all. were worried that you were gonna your cell service no. was gonna mess with the yeah. And then I was just <laughs> then I was just seething. The more I thought about it, I was like, Who, how dare you? Yeah, I got it. I mean, I guess to him it looked like I was just gonna be. It looks like I'm texting. Right. So it does look weird that I'm just texting in a movie theater for 20 minutes. Oh, still though, that's so unlikable. And you have 3D yeah. glasses on, idiot. Like your your peripheral, you <laughs> yeah. won't see my my barely lit backlight. That's just um, one of those things now that people love to be mad about is someone having yeah. their phone out in the movie. And like maybe this is one of the, you know this is probably people that saw Star Wars could be people that saw only one movie this year. Like it brings everyone out. So I've started right. to wonder like. Is this guy a veteran, or is he just, he goes once a year, and I just validated why he doesn't go to the theater anymore. Um, (laughs) And then midway through, like, the opening, I remembered that I was going to take a gummy, which I had hid in my cigarette uh, pack, but it sunk to the bottom. So I had to empty out all of my (laughs) cigarettes on my lap, take the gummy, and then put them back in. And I, like, looked over. I really wanted to... This will give you a story. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but that's it for me as far as being alone. Otherwise, um, let's talk about the movie because it's just, it's some of the most epic shit I've ever seen. Pretty epic. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Um, Dave, you love it, uh, which is, well, I'm glad you're here because I guess, um, you know, other than the fact that Abrams crushed it <laughs> and I don't think you could make it much better. Uh, as far as like pleasing uh, old fans and also getting in, introducing a new cast of heroes and villains that are all interesting, like I don't think you could do much better. Uh, what's weird to me is that for me, like it still is just the experience of seeing it that is pleasurable, and then I go home and I don't think about it. Whereas for you, Star Wars has a bigger uh, bigger story or bigger ideas that you keep thinking about and you know sell me on that uh, so I think the original trilogy was really good in terms of what he left out so you felt that this was a 
slice of life almost. And I think they return to that. So there's a lot of uh, questions as to some of the origin, like the main character, who is she all about. And then some other elements that are happening concurrently, but you're not told about. I don't know if that's great writing in the original trilogy or if it was a just poor writing that ended up having people go home and think about all this stuff and trying to figure like out Like Lost, everything. kind of, where they... Right. Yeah. yeah. You can't... I can't... I mean, I think a lot of it is good writing. Some of it's just bad. And then because people love it so much, they inject that meaning into stuff that isn't meaningful. But that's kind of entertaining, too. And then the other stuff, besides, like, story elements, is it's good versus evil. Yeah. It's intent. If, you, if you're a good person and you mean to do something, like in this movie specifically when she's fighting Kylo Ren... She's like, oh, right, the Force, and yeah. then thinks about the Force. And she's that good that then that becomes meaningful, and that's how she wins, yeah. the power of good and intent. And that's a really compelling message. Well, I mean, the for and the Force itself is, uh, you know, a pretty good stand-in for just, like, Eastern religion. Yeah, <laughs> And, like, balance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're bas Jedis are basically Zen masters right. as they get older. Are Buddhists able to float and, like... Make other things float. And the good ones. Yeah, yeah the good Buddhists. Yeah. <laughs> those hacks. The good Buddha. Um, I guess we should say that uh, there will be spoilers. I mean, it's been out two weeks, um, but I don't want to discuss this without talking about <laughs> Yeah. So just fast forward if you haven't seen it yet. So Kylo Ren is Han Solo's son. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. What a, immediately, I don't like the way they presented it, necessarily, with the big giant emperor kind of drawing into his lips, like, you are the son of Han. Well, I wish they could have brought it up in a more seamless they way. Did, they did tease it earlier, which I liked. They teased it, yeah. like, twice earlier, right? About yeah. his family. Right. Um, yeah, I felt like I knew before that. Like, Ben, like, like ben at the beginning. Remember? Well, they don't say it's your Leia's son. It's just Han Solo, right, right. which I hadn't thought about. That oh, there, it's probably the love child of those two. But then he's calling Darth Vader grandfather, and it all synced up and was. But incredible. like, like at the beginning when he said when Ben said or he, Kylo Ren sees him and says something like "You've gotten old," and then he, Ben says something far worse has happened to you, mm -hmm. something like that. And like right. he, yeah, he says something about his family or coming home, which was cool. Right. Yeah, I mean. Kylo Ren, I, I was on the last podcast, I, you know, was making a point that it's hard to have a good uh, Star Wars movie without Darth Vader being involved. But I mean, Kylo Ren was certainly as good as you could be for a follow up, I think, or, yeah. or replacing Vader. And the fact that he's obsessed with Vader, much like yeah. we are yeah. <laughs> as a villain. And yeah. that he decides that his work was unfinished and ruined by... Yeah. That's great that he's basically worshiping his ghost. Well, that's the thing is the um, like the general reverence. I read the Onion AV Club article was saying how all the characters kind of feel like Star Wars fans. Right. The way they're like Luke Skywalker, like they yeah. speak in like hushed tones right. about. Yeah, that's really cool. And they say, you know, it's like, oh, I thought he was a myth. Yeah, she's pretty tongue in cheek of, or of pretty him or at least one of the rebellion fighters yeah. like, on her shelf. There's little touches like that where she did think it was myth and was yeah. helpful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and Adam Driver's great. He's yeah, so he good. Yes. That was good casting. I think every everyone like all the new heroes I'm into. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I like how uh, I like how with Star Wars movies they do a lot of like it's a theme that sons kill their fathers or vanquish them in some way. I guess like or their mentor. Like mentors are constantly being betrayed by the people that. They mentored, so like Anakin eventually is gonna he kill Darth Vader kills Obi Wan, right? Later in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and Obi Wan was like his father figure. Kylo Ren was being trained by Luke, and obviously he ran away from that Jedi training camp and yeah. they added up. So it's an interesting like I like how they push legacy and push kind of these unhappy father child <laughs> relationships it's it's interesting to me that the i guess it reminded me of you know the blowfish like how you have to cut it a certain way um it, for it poisonous. not to be poisonous yeah. and like for it to kill you um i don't know if that's just a simpsons thing or if that's real yeah. but um i think it's at least partially real um but like it's kind of cool that the force is kind of like that like 
it's something that if you learn how to do right is a very powerful source of good. But if you fuck it up at all, you're going to become like evil, but not just evil, evil. (laughs) like really powerfully evil. Yeah. You know, it's like Japanese food. (laughs) (laughs) Trav brought up a great question. Um, Last night we got home just saying, what has Luke been doing? Yeah. <laughs> He's just standing on this cliff with his Chubby little recluse, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what, how many forces there are. Like You're just standing there looking out into the water. At some point, he's got to think, like, well, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they are pushing the, like, this is kung fu master shit. This is, like, people retreating. These are monks that right. are so beyond... Um, the, the boredom the human the human concerns that we are concerned with yeah. uh, then again like he's obviously run away from his problem of the fact that he tried to bring the force back to good and someone destroyed everything namely Kylo right. Ren and murdered apparently so the he, entire class that he was teaching right right here was here was we saw it with a full theater did you mm-hmm. i assume yeah okay so when we saw it last night it was pretty empty so justin didn't get that experience of people cheering yeah. and clapping like and as soon as the the titles come in everyone was yelling and then every time a new character a familiar character was introduced people started clapping again um and i've talked about this a lot but i thought it was really weird that everyone cheered every character that was introduced people cheered for including like c3po who's awful <laughs> And then when they showed Luke at the end, he turns around and like brings his hood down, and no one did anything. Really? He was the star of the movie. He was I think, bad. I think because it couldn't have been more predictable at that point. Like, yeah. Even for a nine-year-old, there's that final ten minutes where you're like, I know we got to see Luke here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got to meet for sure. Yeah. It was not a surprise when he popped up, but I was so glad not to be there with people applauding because like my only gripe with the movie is the. Uh, reintroduction of everybody and all the familiar characters. It was just very sentimental and nostalgic. Yeah. And that's why I can't... I think the next one is going to be fantastic. Yeah. I think they're not going to have to do all that stuff to like, here's a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. And just you'll already kind of have the new... Kylo Ren's probably going to be even more badass than he was this time. Right. Yeah, it's just going to be them training. I think it's going to be darker. Well, and Rey will be probably... Oh, owned by that. I, yeah. She just started the, like teasing her the skills first and time she you almost s- beat him. The first time you see Ray like fight in the next movie, she's gonna be ridiculous. Boner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she uh she's she's a problem. Yeah. She she's stolen a, a lot of problem. hearts. Yeah. Uh, she's great. She's yeah. great. I thought it was great that, you know, they flipped the gender and race and you know, kind of changing up the it's the modern star wars and you know for your your main action hero not to be a guy but to be this young girl with a 10 face i mean that's so progressive (laughs) well so nate did you know that take that hollywood she was she was a total unknown and like not you know they say that about people she didn't have an imdb page or a wikipedia page she had like a couple hundred followers on instagram what a get for her yeah i know she's like 24 or something right yeah she's 23 yeah so she's this is her 50 million dollars over the next six years and then or whatever it's gonna be it reminded me of um <laughs> like the in the beginning when you're kind of because they did such a good job of keeping secret who every actor was playing yeah and like what the characters were so you're kind of you're constantly thinking, oh, is this the new han solo i wonder if this is exactly right. the new jedi it reminded me of uh the wire and how they prepared you for the next generation of, you know, bubble bubbles and Omar. Yeah, and, that's true. And like starting to, it's kind of, it's cool to basically push the. This is a cyclical story. Right. Doesn't matter if it's Vader versus Luke or Kylo versus Rey. It's just this will keep going on, and you'll have to get used to the new versions of it. I like that a lot in terms of like how I'm willing to forgive all the nostalgia and the fact that. A lot of the set pieces and the story are exactly the same yeah. as a New Hope. Yeah, uh, there's a fucking recycled, huge sphere in the recycled sky that a shoots lot. things with a huge laser. It's yeah, made it they even kind of make a joke about it, right? Yeah. Was that a joke? Where it's like that you thought the Death Star was big. It's kind yeah. of a, yeah. And then Han says, "There's always a way to blow these up." Whatever. Like I don't think it was a joke. I thought that was like a like accelerating the risk of of. No, it's not like the death. This was the Death Star. This, it's like the you you think that's a knife. This yeah. is a knife. Right. Like, I'm excited for Adam Driver. Like at this point, the next person who 
puts Adam Driver in a movie is gonna be like, like David O. Russell or yeah. like Scorsese. Like it's, yeah, the Scorsese. He has a career ahead somebody, somebody great is gonna use him yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Wish he wore the mask more. Yeah, yeah. it was weird when he took weird. it off. Yeah. I liked when he well, took it off the first time. Oh yeah, I meant when he was without it. Yeah, but he's just a, like the way his him physically, every time he walks in with his his own look of a you know the modern Darth Vader sort of a little more streamlined. Yeah, a little more comfy. His hair was like a little too pretty. Yeah, his, yeah, yeah. It was. But like his voice, his cadence, it was so good. Yeah, it I wish reminded he had a me of Bane of like this guy. I don't I don't want to see what he looks like, and then you do, and it's like yeah. Okay, that's a little more backstory. I liked it the first time because he wasn't afraid to take it off. Like, yeah. that that felt ballsy, but yeah. keeping it off, yeah. yeah. Dave, tell him the, um, I don't know if you know about this, but um, the the lightsaber thing and, like, the mask thing. All right, so you really, so according to lore, you can't make a lightsaber unless you're great at the forest. So it's not just, like, a mechanical engineering situation. Right. Uh, there's some other, like, hidden bit about that. Um, so... That's part of the lore that shows up where Kylo Ren isn't incredibly well-trained yet. So, but also lines up with his characteristics uh, where he's fiery and crackly and like, and so is his lightsaber. Like he's a little bit off. He's mm -hmm. not pure. Um, and he's not even pure evil yet. He's still even talking about like being haunted by this idea of the light. Mm -hmm. So clearly when he made his lightsaber, he's not great at the force yet. And that's why it's all kind of shitty. And that's also why, like, she, Ray, at the end, is able to outdo him just through the force, not through sword fighting, just through force control. Mm -hmm. um, which is just kind of a cool, like, that nostalgia I fucking love. Yeah. Like, the fact that someone had been following Star Wars for 30 years or 40, almost, um, would be interested in that kind of side of the force and the technology, and then to put it silently into the movie. And for it to work for his character, yeah, it's just fucking great. I thought great. it was. It made him seem really unhinged and dangerous. Yeah. yeah. As far as the movie is just like, because it, it to me it reminded me of Avatar. Like the first first twenty minutes blew me away. It's just like, oh, this is the visual treat I'm going to get, and like that's the same feeling I had with Avatar and Gravity, and I think those are the three big like event movies where it's just like like I regret only seeing Gravity once in the theater yeah sure and I can't ever get that back but um, it's over now uh, I did see I did, <laughs> I did see Avatar I think twice or three times and it just it's what everyone goes to see less so with Gravity but in terms of just blowing you away from the first take um, it does feel like it's an event and an experience sometimes more than it is a movie uh, and the other comp was Guardians of the Galaxy that it reminded me of, which got a lot of Star Wars comparisons when it came out. Um, and that was, I guess I'm interested to see how you guys would rank those. Because we all agree Star Wars was awesome, but um, of... Guardians was way funnier. I think, I, think, I think to me, so this Star Wars is a little bit like Avatar, to how I will remember it. Of like, yeah, that was crazy. It's great. Right. I have a lot of... It, the sensibility, though, is kind of cheesy, and I have some things I have problems with. I think that... When is the last time you saw Avatar? I haven't seen it since the theater. Okay, so Nate and I watched it like a year ago or something, and we watched like the TBS stream version, yeah. um, which is the worst way to watch It's still great, yeah. but my God, like... No one does cheese like James Cameron does. Like this, yeah, star, yeah, this yeah. star Wars is half as cheesy. As I, I yeah, absolutely. The the general alone in Avatar. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like thinking about, but that's just how I feel about Avatar. But Guardians of the Galaxy and Gravity, I will ultimately love more than this. I think because I think Guardians of the Galaxy is way more fun, and certainly funny, and just new. It was just new. <laughs> yeah, same with Avatar, really. Yeah. I mean, all three of those have novelty over Star Wars because it's the seventh version, the yeah. seventh one. Right. Yeah, but And Gravity, I think, just in terms of being... this is, I think Gravity is way more tense and suspenseful than any of them, but um, it's also not fun at all. And right. you could gripe with a lot of the writing oh, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that, too. Um, but as far as Guardians, Gravity, Avatar, and Star Wars, where would you think Star Wars would rank? Mm-hmm. Like three months from now, where you're not so fresh, 
you've wiped up your splooge, so to speak. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it takes you months, it away. <laughs> months to wipe away your splooge. In the basement, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I think for me, probably the... Star Wars might be at the bottom, just not... I loved it, but just because of the novelty thing, kind of, this kind of blends in for me because I'm not a huge Star Wars guy. Like it feels like the way, same way I felt after the Star Trek. So I was like, oh, that was awesome. That was yeah. fun. That was great. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I do want to see it again. But like, for me especially, like Avatar, when I walked out of that theater, I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah Avatar was same I, with Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd never seen anything like it, and the first time I I saw Guardians, I was on mushrooms and it was 3D. Right. So that won't be touched, but. <laughs> Um, the pro I, I do think I was as surprised by the Star Wars as I was by all of those movies because okay. I never really cared about Star Wars. So the fact that I went to this and was really like very happy <laughs> when I left. Right. So I'd say I'd say it's probably second for me. I do think it's interesting that the popularity and just how beloved this has gone in the same year that Jurassic World came out. Um, and was before that, like the record breaking, everyone loved it. It's kind of a weird referendum on comic book movies. Like, how much better is Star Wars than Avengers or Iron Man, the best Iron Man, or right. any of the? Like, it's double. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, at least. <laughs> yeah. I was um, gonna say like 483 times. Yeah. yeah. It's a different league. It's a different style of writing. It's a different story. Yeah. Uh, Avengers is barely a story. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have any charm or heart <clears throat> or big ideas. But that's the thing, like Star Wars is so big, so obvious what it's doing. Hero's journey, spiritual combined with action movie. And that's all. What a reluctant it. hero she was for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. She I really mean, she really turned down the call, didn't she? <laughs> but somehow those incredibly broad strokes, those big ideas that people just sit on and 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 are these incredibly simple things. Um are played out really well. So, like comparing that to like you were saying, like Gravity, Avatar, uh, Guardians, um, they're not even close for me. Yeah. But they're in a different. They're compartmentalized for me. And you're it's also a talking, different style of story. Yeah, you're talking story versus movie too. Yeah. Like I'm thinking probably more critically, just filmmaking right. the craft. I loved that they humanized the stormtroopers. Yeah. Yes. That, that was, was awesome. very very smart, and the bloody handprint on the helmet As a was way to mark genius. Him. Yeah. To mark him throughout. Yeah. Um, in general, I really I think that Abrams made all the right decisions. Yeah. I don't know what he did wrong. <laughs> Can't wait to the next one. Yeah. Cook Street fan mail. All right. Before we get to fan mail, just want to reiterate that we are always on the lookout for fan mail questions to answer on these podcasts. You can send them to cookstreetproductions at gmail.com or uh, message us on Facebook. Uh, today's question comes from Steph in Golden State, California. <laughs> I wish he would just leave us alone. I didn't, I didn't know that was a city. Um, he or she says, some of my favorite movies use music from just one artist, like Harold and Maude with Cat Stevens songs, or Graduate had Simon and Garfunkel, Good Will Hunting and Elliot Smith, and even Life Aquatic and how they use pre-existing David Bowie songs for the whole soundtrack. Pretend you're a filmmaker with an unlimited budget and you are only allowed to use one artist's pre-existing catalog as the soundtrack to a film you're making. Tell us what artist you would choose and tell us some details about this fictional movie that you'd make. Well, that's a great question, but um, rather than just give away our great movie ideas to the listening audience. Yeah, we've done that too much, frankly. Yeah. And People we are making we, a fortune. We can't yeah. do Shanksgiving now. Yeah, I know. It's in pre-production for Warner. Warner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Phil Warner down the street. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we are. We instead decided to um, re-soundtrack a movie that already existed. Um, rescore. Rescore. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like maybe like Jack Johnson and just like a movie set at the beach. At the beach. Because like at I the beach. every time I listen to him, we're gonna say the beach. Yeah. Every I time knew I'm you were gonna it, say the it's beach. Like this reminds me of something. Yeah. There aren't a lot of um, movies that use pre-existing songs. 
Like it'll be kind of a mix sometimes. The artist will write one or two for the soundtrack. Really, the Life Aquatic's the best example, but they switched it up obviously by doing it in Portuguese and on an acoustic. Guitar. You know, what's a good question that we should do sometime is what is the best song written for a movie? Like, I think you know we how... have answered that, haven't we? And we didn't say so. "Kiss by a Rose." I don't think so. I think I mean, we've talked about "Kiss by a Rose," but like it's weird. Like a sou- is a it side... "Kiss from a Rose." Yeah. Who's the kiss Rose? "Kiss from a Rose." Kiss by. Seal <laughs> thinks he's the Rose. No. Oh. He was kissed. Because the bloom's been off that face for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that is awfully mean to a man who got punched in the face wearing glasses. <laughs> and man married Heidi Klum. I'll give you my runner-up, the one I'm not doing. And okay. then I'll, yeah, I got a runner-up. Uh, so I was listening to just uh, bands I like, and uh, Tune Yards has an interesting sound. Yes. Um, and it, it, you know, Tune Yards has like, a lot of African percussion, and it kind of sounds like tribal and yeah. all that. Um, so I thought it'd be cool, but like then her voice comes in, and yeah. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so it was kind of hard to fit in, and then I was just trying to think of possible movies where that could be served. And then um, I thought about Beasts of the Southern Wild, Ooh. which <laughs> I love as a movie, but the music I don't think about. I don't remember the music. Yeah, I remember the first like seven minutes being an awesome um, sequence, but after that, and you know, it's it's set in New Orleans, so like you would expect music to be a big part of it. Anyway, imagine Hush Puppy floating on a flooded river, <laughs> like on a raft of debris, and all you hear is like this stuff. I don't know, like the Cajun backwoods, like bayou. It is like a non third world place. <laughs> Where you're like killing animals by hand and you don't have access to clean water. Um, and just the fact that it it has like, you know, this female narrator who can hopefully transcend her circumstances, but also is like a victim to it or like a part of it. It's all it'll always be part of her. Tune Yards kinda has that like dichotomy too, where it's it's celebratory, but it's also kind of fucked up. Yeah, there's a struggle. Right. Yeah. So I was trying to think of, so like, you know, in WALL-E, the first 40 minutes or something are completely, there's no words. Right. So it feels like that's a great opportunity to just play an album all the way through. Yeah, it does. Um, and then ultimately I realized that the silence in that, in that stretch is really important. Right. To make it feel sparse. So then I thought of the opposite, like a, a, a movie that has a lot going on, but it's over, like a lot of montages are kind of action that's not fighting um yeah and uh i thought of lock stock and two smoking barrels oh and the music that i want for that and this is this is pretty close to what my actual answer would be but i i came up with something else for that would be um cw stone king i thought maybe you're gonna use him <laughs> i mean it was basically him or tom waits but um cw stone king here i'm gonna play a little bit of it I've talked about him on this podcast before, but he's this Australian dude who sounds like he wrote music in the 30s. Right. I feel like a movie like that that does feel foreign, at least to us, having moving music move, that, that moves the story along without being actually British. So, um, it's funny, I actually was thinking about both Gravity and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because we were talking about. It. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of came to Star Wars because I think gravity has its own thing going on. But Star Wars could use like a little. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like bam, 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 bam. Let's give it some real kind of grimy music. Too. Yeah, mm-hmm. give it some teeth. Yeah, a yeah. little bit of teeth. That's oh, what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Anyway, so I watched the trailer to a Purity Ring song. Ooh. And it's so like almost, it, it just suggests space. Yeah. Because like her voice is kind of um, yeah. Like yeah. echoey. There's like, I the reverb on it is like interesting. It's like almost, I thought about Purity Ring too, just because it is so distinct it is. and weird. Just wonder back and forth and leave it. 
Dirty Ring, the, the, the actual music there is really atmospheric and yeah. interesting, and mm -hmm. that could stand alone through the parts you wouldn't want vocals. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect, Nate. Perfect. Um, we'll watch it and listen to it later. Yeah, I'm down. Um, this, uh, so what I'm going with, and I'm just, when it clicked, I really had a, like, a moment of, I should call the director. Wow. Um, Big Fish. I think is a really good movie that a lot of people love, but it's there's something keeping it from being yeah. a classic. I think you're right. I think music. I don't is, remember any do, of do you Oh remember? no, yes I do. Yes I do. Yeah. It's got Roller Coaster. It does have Roller Coaster yeah. in it, but other than that it's Tim Burton and he's never, you know. Yeah, it's I, the one Buddy Holly song and that's yeah. pretty much it. So uh, I'm going to fill that shit, fill that other world uh, soaring uh, mythical place with Beach House. Yeah, yeah, that's is. great. Yeah, cozy. Great. So yeah, like, that would be awesome. I was trying to think of, uh, you know, I, I can't remember tons of scenes from that movie other than just like the funeral at the end and just the fact there was a giant, there was a big fish. Um, but I was thinking about uh, like when he when he sees his wife at the circus and time stops. Yeah. And he walks over to her and like moves popcorn that's frozen in air. You could play a song like this. Do it, Burton, if you ever want to make a good movie again. <laughs> It'd be funny if he decided not to. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this little guy from Idaho. Bright Eyes? No, there's this small little guy from Idaho who makes music in his house and walks around drinking wine in between like recording sessions. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, you do? Yeah. Youth Lagoon. Yeah, Mr. Trevor yeah, Powers. There it is. Anyway, um, I want Youth Lagoon, but not new Youth Lagoon because it's a little too interesting. Um, like the first album, Year of Hibernation, which is the best <laughs> album of all time. <laughs> um, Very brave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want that to be um, the soundtrack for Life of Pi. Oh. So Life of Pi is another movie that I don't remember the music to at all. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but I don't want any music. I don't want any music until he's alone in the ocean. So that whole stretch where he's in India, um, yeah. where he, they're in the house. The first 30 minutes. Yeah, at least. This would be great. Yeah, and like you, you wait. It's so quiet, and the, all, all that you hear is like the loud, like when the ship's sinking, the screaming, all that stuff. Then he wakes up and he's on this boat, and then you hear. Yeah, I mean, what you've got with the with this album is beautiful, but lonely. Right. And that's Life of Pi is perfect. Yeah. For that. And it's weird, like the, because the, there is obviously a sadness to it. The problem is that you would hear the vocals, and he's talking about like being lonely and posters on his wall and being 16. And well, actually, that might be right. <laughs> 17. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just felt like that was the right blend of. Something, a movie that was very beautiful, um, but not quite great for some reason. Like, there's something that kept it from being great. Um, and Youth Lagoon would just fill that out. Yeah, it would. Cook Street Fan Mail. All right, uh, so tonight we are going to talk about The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino, um, because... We kind of have to talk about any new Quentin Tarantino movie. I mean, thinking about it, if you just did the past 25 years, uh, he would be on that short list of the most important filmmakers, right? Yeah. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, him, I've, Coen I've, Brothers. I think he'd be on the list of all time. Yeah, yeah, but like, uh, I mean, for us, for a certain age group, you don't know many people that are probably aged 25 to 45 that don't just love Quentin Tarantino. What age were you when you loved him the most? That goes for everyone. And Basement Dave is back here, by the way. Hey, guys. Uh, ugh. Uh, I was probably 10. It's probably when I saw Reservoir Dogs in Pulp Fiction. 10? 10? Yeah. That's when you loved him the most, though? Like, you appreciated... <laughs> yeah. 
That seems weird to me. You have such little context at that point. I mean, those are those two movies were particularly great because it was at the time not there was nothing like that. No combination of dialogue and action. And Agreed, but I'm surprised at ten you would be able to appreciate that. <laughs> I was, um, what I about was you? An old soul. Um, whenever I first saw Inglorious, probably Inglorious is because that was yeah. That's his. I think that's my favorite movie of his. That's mine. Yeah. Um, and I was of the right age. I cared about movies and all that. What about you, Basement? Uh, Pulp Fiction did it for me. Yeah. How old I mean, were you? Um, like forty. You'd been twenty-seven. <laughs> like twenty-two. Twenty-seven. Forty-three. So yeah, I think um, I think that his movies are kind of made for me. It was when I was twenty in film school, and that's like it does seem to be like his target demographic yeah. is a twenty-year-old in film school who just rips him off, yeah. which is what I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the one reason I didn't want Baseman Dave here um, for this discussion is he's. Got to put aside the idea, the notion that Kill Bill is a classic film for our discussion. (laughs) There's no time for dissent. Um, (laughs) Tarantino has made, this is his seventh film. Um, If you take out uh, Death Proof, which I want to. I forgot about that. The People That Matter. Disagree. It's a great movie. Yeah, but it's, you know. It's a great movie? It is a great movie. Do you like? It's one of his worst movies. Yeah, but sure. it is. The point is, it is. It is definitely below the other six. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yes. So for it this, it is probably his worst movie, actually. <laughs> Specifically, yeah. his worst movie. So otherwise, you're talking about like Jackie Brown as a basement. Like right. that's that's an incredible career. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think he's got two levels, um, where Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. I don't know when AFI is going to do another like top 100 of all time, but I think both of those should be on there. Sure. I think they should too, but I don't I think we like Inglorious more than other people do. Yeah, but I think we're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Um in the I mean, yeah, I guess we, I don't know. In the filmmaking community and all that. Yeah. It seems like most of the people Well, that was the beginning of his shtick that like like I do think that movie suffers because he's he keeps imitating himself. Right. Like stop doing revenge. Stop doing revenge. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the thing about why Hateful Eight is interesting is Django was the follow-up to Inglorious, which was a bit of a, um, you know, that was Jackie Brown, Kill Bill. There's 14, there's 16 years between Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. Wow. So when Inglorious Bastards came out, I remember thinking like, holy shit, he's back. Right. This was incredible. No one's, he should win Best Picture. And then Django was good. Right. But not Inglorious. And so for Hateful Eight to be the follow-up and it also be a like Western set in 1860, yeah. it, is, it seems like this one doesn't have... I'm sure we're all excited because it's him and we'll see anything he did, but it's not like um, there's anything unfamiliar about it. Yeah, and I even feel that in the previews. It feels like they know it's... That there's not much novelty in the previews, really. No, it's, it's like kind of they're quick and they're like, "Hey, look, this guy's shooting this guy." And who's the who's in this movie that he's like doing his his Quentin Tarantino thing with and bringing back? Or, you could say Kurt Russell, um, Kurt Russell, or Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee is the one who's gotten like critical. Uh, she's like nominated for best supporting actor. I wish Samuel L. Jackson wasn't in it. Wouldn't that be ballsy? Yeah, that's so. That's that's a that's that's. Kind of one of my points is, you know, I read some interviews and he said, like, I really wanted to have just an ensemble, like, no big actors and just kind of, like, like you forget they're even there kind of actors. It's like, he's been in every film of yours since Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I, I don't... He's great in, in uh, Django. Yeah. Which was surprising. I thought I was done with, with Sam. Yeah, he was. But he was him. really good in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure he's good in this. Like, Tarantino knows how to write for him. He knows how to write for everybody. Um, but Viggo Mortensen was supposed to be in it. Either I think he might have been as the Kurt Russell part. Yeah, uh, and that would have been awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Mortensen said it didn't work out because of scheduling, but he's really upset. It does seem like timing. It's funny timing for this movie because it's competing with Star Wars, which is not good. But also, The Revenant is coming out, and it's like a similar time period, kind of mm-hmm. cold snow, yeah. all that stuff. And everyone, including me, at least. I'm way more excited for the Revenant than I am for the this the Hateful Eight. Yeah, um, which is a, definitely a recency effect, because it's like it's not like Inaritu. I love everything he's done, but Birdman is better than any movie that Quentin Tarantino made. Dave, I think that's true. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you could say Inaritu is 
probably in the in his prime. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas Tarantino, um, Dave told me today that he Tarantino has said he's only going to make eleven films, right? And this is technically his eighth because he considers Death Proof a movie. Um, so this means <laughs> after that, after this, he's only got three left, and you know he's. Tarantino's really seemed like to me to be a Scorsese, like he'll get one when he's 70. Like his pic- his movies have never won Best Picture. Wow. He's never won Best Director. He's often not nominated. He always just, he's won two Oscars and it's for writing. Mm-hmm. For it, Django and Pulp Fiction. It's weird that he said it at 11 because I remember hearing that years and years ago and thinking it was crazy and why I was going to stop early. But he's not going to stop that early. He's probably 50, right? He's 52. Yeah, 52. 10 or 11 It takes years. him. 12 years probably left, right? It takes him probably five years to make a movie. Yeah. Right, so 15, 12 to 15 more years. And he almost didn't release this movie because it got leaked and right. he was pissed about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, the script got leaked two years ago and he was pissed about it and he canceled it. Um, and then a couple months later they did a live read at some hotel in L.A. as part of a series for KCRW. And he said, eh, that went pretty well. I'll just change the ending and let's make it. So that's kind of odd. Wow. Um, Backstory for the movie being made. They shot it in Telluride, which is right near us, last winter. Um, and the speaking of Star Wars, like Tarantino's really caused a big, uh, big controversy by. Well, he said Disney sucks, and they and went on these this rant on the Howard Stern show about Disney. Which, if you can think about two guys you want to spend less time with than Howard Stern imagine. and Quentin Tarantino, oh terrible room that is to be in. Um, but what happened was he, you know, he shot this in seventy millimeter, which is insane. Yeah, <laughs> insane uh, to be double thirty five, which already is an event when uh, directors do that. But uh, he's, you know, it's real. It's real film. He made a big deal of it. He has. He had December 25th booked at the two main Hollywood theaters, the Chinese theater, and there's another one. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Disney, like a couple weeks ago, said uh, Star Wars is gonna keep is gonna stay in the big on the big like, big <laughs> oh, theater. Oh and Tarantino was like, but I reserve this. Like it's like the arc light that runs the theater is part of his credits <laughs> in the opening credits. It's like no, they you know this has to be shown on this screen. And Disney said, sorry. Star Wars needs to be playing through the holidays, so they're right. They just strong armed him and said, "All right, well, if you know, if you still want to release it on Christmas Day, instead of pushing it back, uh, no ArcLight Theater will show it," which is like you know a huge brand in, in California. So he was pissed and went on Howard Stern and, and wow. described all this, especially because like I think some of the movies he's made were Disney related, <laughs> or he's written right. or like True Romance might have been. So he was saying, "I've made those idiots tons of money. Fuck Star Wars. Fuck Disney." And then he clarified, I don't mean that about J.J. Abrams. He's amazing. Wow. <laughs> fuck Disney. Is his um, next film going to be a revenge film about Disney? That would be hilarious. That would be great. Um, so, yeah, do you want, why don't I do a quick uh, synopsis of the story? So, set six or eight or 12 years after the Civil War, a stagecoach hurtles through the wintry Wyoming landscape. The passengers, bounty hunter John and his fugitive Daisy, race towards the town of Red Rock, where Ruth, known in these parts as the Hangman, will bring Daisy to justice. Along the road, they encounter strangers, blah, blah, blah. There's a blizzard, blah, blah, blah. It's a hostage situation. Eight travelers come to learn they may not make it to Red Rock after all. It's like a western road trip with a bunch of nefarious types. (laughs) Michael Madsen's in it. Uh, Tim Roth is in it, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sam Jackson, and uh, Channing Tatum. What? Ooh! Did you know that? <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> now we're talking. He plays Jody. Um, it is 167 minutes as a cool. director's version, as or no, as the like, audience version. version. Yeah. yeah. But he is as a director's cut that is being shown... Um, in the 70 millimeter with an overture and an intermission that's 187 minutes. God, he's such a prick. <laughs> yeah, and he said it was like, it also includes alternate takes from other scene, from scenes that were in the 167 version just because he said it didn't look as good in 70 when you <laughs> show it on smaller screens. So, yeah. um, wow. you know, we can expect things to probably be a little non-linear. <laughs> you think? Um, I looked up, uh, the, the premise is, br- is broken up into chapters. Or episodes. No. Huh. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Um, do you want to watch a trailer? Yes. Got room for one more? 
I ain't too anxious to be handing out rides. Real trusting fella, huh? Not so much. Ain't no way I'm spending a couple of nights under a roof with somebody I don't know who they are. So who are you? It looks good. Yeah, I mean, it looks great. Snowy. I bet, I, I bet yeah. it's shot very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're all going to see this in the theater, uh, I would assume, regardless of if it's, uh, you know, A-Squad Tarantino or more of a Kill Bill Django level of greatness. Oh, I'm guessing he's that's twitching. <laughs> he's twitching. Yeah. I'd throw Reservoir Dogs in that, and that would get you guys all riled up. I think Reservoir Dogs is fantastic, but if I remove the fact that it was his debut, it's not as good as Pulp Fiction or Inglourious. Yeah, Isn't it weird that he's famous for his dialogue, which I, I, I loved when I was younger, but now it seems hack? <laughs> like, he does seem... And the yeah. fact that he keeps making the same movie over and over again, I, I, it's weird. It's weird, right? Like, he fell in love with the idea of being an auteur. Whereas, like, somebody like, and I'm not saying David O. Russell is better by any means, but somebody who can do, even Scorsese to some level, who can do different types of things. Mm. Well, he doesn't write, but yeah. But he's, Quinn has done a great job of making camp interesting and serious to people and then it's like surprising when his dialogue is like snappy and weird it almost feels out of place because you started believing in this world which is ham as shit i mean he right. loves stupid 80s action movies and spaghetti westerns spaghetti westerns are ridiculous i mean they're shot yeah. beautifully and some of them are acted very well but i'm <laughs> some of them are just ridiculous yeah. and he's made them into great movies is he like kind of like I'm trying to think of a musical comp for him. Somebody who... It's just like really good at pop music. Is their, really, really good at one thing. And 1970s then, pop music. Who's right. really good at that? The, the Cardigans. It's kind of Billy Joel. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> After a while, it's just knocks out like, the classics. All right. That's what you got. Yeah. I mean, I wonder... That's kind of... I, I wonder if he will get... If like a movie he makes will become Best Picture and be just... No, like he finally made his masterpiece, which is The Inglorious Line. Um, if it will require him to not do an homage to a B-movie or a genre that is no longer popular. It would have to be. Yeah. And that's why no one liked Jackie Brown, right? I mean, it was still had uh, notes of like that 80s The exploitation for sure. Right, yeah. exploitation. But um, it wasn't as heavy-handed as the rest, and people didn't like it. Because it wasn't as heavy head. Yeah, yeah, it's true. What it he, was a little bit more. Yeah, but that—that that was when he was still like cutting his teeth, kind of. Yeah, and it wasn't his story, also. So. If one of his movies hasn't won like a Best Picture or whatever, uh, when he's done with all eleven, I think they should make a supercut of just the best scenes from every one of his films, and that would win. Yeah. Because he's a big scene guy. That's true. <laughs> I hope that oh, his eleventh film is just totally straight-faced, serious, and unaware of itself. Yeah. And then he actually gets his fucking award. Yeah. Because I don't see how he's going to do it with what he does. It wouldn't be a bad decision for him to work with a really good actor, as opposed to always, like... I mean, Christoph Waltz is great. um, And nothing against some of the other people. But, you know, it's like the Travolta... The Bruce Willis is around. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's his fucking thing, man. He doesn't want to get away from uh, it. He yeah. loves that. What, um, but, like, Paul Thomas Anderson works with Daniel Day-Lewis. Right. And, like, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. He wouldn't work with Quentin, right? Like, yeah, I guess no, it's true. It has to be people that, that he That would be can... kind of awesome. It would be awesome. Yeah. I would love what to see What is he doing? Too. Last I heard, he was like a... He was he was fixing shoes in Wales. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Not a joke. He's probably preparing Not a joke. A oh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's a, an actually qualified cobbler. cobbler. That's great. Are you sure it's not like in preparation for some role? It might be, Probably. but I know that he is... They're remaking ar- the cobbler without him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure it's him. Actually, it was, it was actually him who played Adam Sandler in The Cobbler, mm-hmm. and he was uh, so convincing that, that no one noticed. Wow. Yep. Or a sequel to My Left Foot. <laughs> what, um, what, did it, <laughs> what did Inglorious get? Yeah, so that's the good thing, is that we need to get you guys to guess the Rotten Tomato score for this this film. Uh, so we should just go through his yeah, movies. definitely. Those are the ones that matter. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, 92%. Pulp Fiction, 93%. Mm-hmm. So we go from 92 and 93 for those first two strong debuts. Then Jackie Brown, 87. Then he makes Kill Bill's. That was 85 and 84. 
Then he takes a six-year break um, and does Inglorious Bastards, which is an 89. Hmm. Then he does Django a couple years later, and it's 88. Wow, he lives he's there. Really, right there. So, 85 to 93. So he's never. So he's never. He's done 80. Yeah, 84 to 93. Wow. He's done six movies in that range. That's pretty crazy. All right, boys. Um, we Can are. Can I ask one other score? Yes, please. Kind of out of. True Grit for some reason is just kind of calling to me here. What? I know it's different. The remake, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. True like Grit. Like popular opinion of new yeah. Yeah, westerns. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of makes sense. True Grit, uh, Coen Brothers. Five years ago was a 96. Yeah, it was that really is, good. It wasn't it's 96. A it's a little high. I didn't Holy think crap. it was that good. What was um, 310 to Yuma, the remake of that? Yeah, that's a great question. 100. I bet that's I in the see. 90s. It should be. It was really good. I didn't see it. I need to see it. It what? sounds like it's it was great. good. It's really good. It's great. It's uh, tonight. Yeah. 89. And like, wow, yeah. people like these westerns. Well, and like, you know, Crow and Bale. Come on, Tarantino. Sign them up. We'll do it, right? Yeah. All right, so... Uh, is Dave guessing? Uh, no, because I can't leave the house after this podcast is over. <laughs> I have to go back downstairs. Good boy. Rules you are rules. Uh, so the boys are... Uh, when I say boys, I mean Nate and Travis, not Baseman Dave and not Evan, are going to guess the Rotten Tomato score for The Hateful Eight. I think that I'm going to trust my gut in seeing the preview and kind of that... As he keeps to kind of remake these things, it's going to dwindle a little bit. Um, I think that 84 to 93, it's not going to deviate much from that. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going to be above 93, though. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think it might be below an 84. Hmm. I'm going to go down to a 79. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I fucking did it. Wow. It looks yes. kind of, it looks good, but yeah. also my initial gut was like, I'm not that excited, and I haven't not been excited about one of his movies in a long time. Yeah. yeah, and if you're a critic, you also would, you know, it's hard to avoid that just base reaction of again. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, with only two of us, it's a little safer. Just... It, no, it's scary. It's I'm so scared. Fifty <laughs> percent chance. I guess I'm gonna see this no matter what. I don't mind seeing yeah. it alone as long as it's the not the five hour one with like a brunch break. <laughs> I don't understand that. Um, I uh, I haven't heard a single thing about this movie from anyone, and it's been out for a little bit. Um, so I'm going to go lower. You son of a wow. bitch. Um, I'm a little worried about it. I think it's going to be beautiful, and I think his next movie might be really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a hilarious number. 69. I think it's going to be 69. Wow. Wow, right. 79, 69. Which is a so sexual 64. position. Is the so, 74. 74. So if it's above 74, that means that Trav. Travis will have to see it alone. If it's beneath 74, Nate will have to see it alone. Here is the critics' consensus. This is not going to tell you anything. The hateful. Wait, eight. hold on. Before you do it, did you realize that one of us is going to be above and one of us is going to be below, which is describing my exact guess? <laughs> Your exact what? My guess. Oh, because of the, se- the sex. Uh-huh. Because of the sex. So you guys will be upside down sucking off each other. Oh. <laughs> the Hateful Eight offers another well-aimed round of Quentin Tarantino's signature blend of action, <laughs> yeah, fuck. humor, and over-the-top violence. What? All while demonstrating an even stronger grip on his filmmaking craft. And yet, it's his lowest score. Wow. Oh. 77. Whoa! <laughs> wow. Woo! Almost a smack by the of my chin. Well, we... We almost split it too. Yeah. It was almost right in the middle. Oh, that's of us. true. <laughs> that's what I was more worried wow. about. So, uh, seventy-seven. Yeah. His lowest score ever. His lowest How many score are in? for for a written something he solely wrote and directed. Yeah. How many are in? One hundred and thirty-seven. Wow. Written. So it's legit. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the hateful eight. More of the same. If you like Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound like this is gonna break much ground. But I you can't know. wait to defend it. Hey, thanks for listening. You know what? We are Cook Street Productions. (laughs) That's how people talk. Yeah. We're Cook Street Productions. You can find more podcasts, our sketches, our web series on Facebook and YouTube, and most certainly our website as a one-stop shop, cookstreetproductions.com. That's Cook S-T. You can follow us on Instagram or follow us on Twitter at cook underscore street. Happy New Year, motherfuckers. I woke up this morning distant from myself. It was ordinary hell.
Pot Comedy Joint, collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends.